We're actually going to start reading from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and continue with all of chapter 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would send to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen or become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 100,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for telling us about yourself, for revealing to us, Lord, a, a small picture of your character. Lord, we ask that you would guide our time together as we share your word together and as we later share communion together, that you would come and teach us, that our hearts would be open to hear and learn and to apply what you want to teach us. We give you this time, Lord, and ask that you would come and teach us. In your name, Jesus, amen. You know, it's not fair. It isn't fair. How many times have you said these words? How many times have you been in a situation where you said, hey, that's not fair. That's not right. Even young children intuitively know something is not right. How come her piece of cake is better than mine? It's not fair. How come he gets to go first? When is it my turn? It's not fair. Our sense of justice is often based on what we think is fair. And we're quick to point out to anyone who will listen what is unfair. One of my favorite books of theology is Calvin and Hobbes. And he describes this perfectly well. Why can't I stay up late like you guys? It's not fair. The world isn't fair, Calvin. I know but why isn't it ever unfair in my favor? <laughs> we all learn that the world is unfair. 
And like the comic figure here, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, we at times equate fairness with getting our own way. If we don't get our own way, then it's not fair. However, aside from the humor of crying foul of not getting your own way, at a deeper and more serious, somber level, we face questions in life about fairness and justice. And scripture is filled with people just like you, just like me, who struggled with reconciling the unfairness of life that we see with a just and compassionate God that we know. King David in the Psalms, he knew God was just, he knew God was compassionate, but he still wrestled and struggled with people who were wicked and evil who seemed to prosper. In the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, Jesus compares God's kingdom with an estate owner, a master of an estate, who chose to pay the same wage to laborers who worked for different hours. The man only worked one hour. Well, he was paid the same as those who worked the full 12 hours in the field. Is that fair? When it seemed unfair, the master said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me? Or are you begrudging my generosity? This can be one of the most difficult kingdom lessons to learn, to keep learning, to grasp. God's generosity and compassion can at times seem unfair to us. And this was Jonah's great struggle. He believed that the incredibly wicked and evil and violent Ninevites did not deserve compassion. In fact, they deserved to be judged, to have God's wrath fall upon them because they were evil. They were enemies of God's people. And the glorification and exaltation of cruelty was well known. And so they deserved punishment. You know, throughout our short exploration of Jonah, we've watched Jonah go from uh, wrestling and fighting against God's compassion to succumbing to it, and then finally fighting against it again. Jonah was in strong disagreement with God's compassion. At every step of the way, the past four weeks, we've asked ourselves the same question. How should we respond to God? Because Jonah is not given to us for us to evaluate or judge him. Was he good? Was he right? Was he wrong? Jonah is given to us so we can learn about our Lord, who in the fullness of time would demonstrate the greatest and most profound level of grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who offers this compassion and forgiveness to a world that is unfair, to people who are evil and wicked and undeserving, to you and I. This is the same God as a pity on Nineveh. It's the same God. It's not a different God. It's the same one who extended mercy to Jonah when Jonah probably should have been killed, who forgives you and I. Today, anyone in the world right now, no matter who they are, what they've done, if they come to Christ in faith and repentance and give their lives to him, they'll receive God's compassion. That can seem unfair. And I'll explain. 
God's compassion is given to us based upon the sacrifice of Christ, not based on how good or deserving you are. And this can seem unfair if the, un, if the repentant person has committed atrocities. It's easy to talk about this theoretically, but if you've been hurt, if you sit and watch the news about what's happening in Syria and Aleppo and around the world and you think, God, you should bring your judgment upon these people for the evil they're doing, the torture, the things that are incredibly, things that we don't even want to know about. They're so painful even to imagine, let alone happen to you. Refugees who come from Syria, other places in the world of Canada, and they have a background of memories of suffering. And yet God can forgive the ones who hurt them. That's the compassion of God. We're just like Jonah. When we see evil in the world, we want to see God judge it. Because we feel it. And we see it. And it's hard to understand that if somebody can actually repent, that God will forgive those atrocities. As we approach the culmination of Jonah's story in chapter 4, we can glance back and see where we've been since we're concluding this series. I wanted to do something different this morning. I wanted to give you uh, a way to remember Jonah, both in terms of motion and in terms of content. Jonah's a roller coaster. He goes down into the ship, away from God's presence. He's brought up by God in chapter 2. In chapter 3, everything turns upside down on him. Ninevites relent. And in chapter 4, everything turns inside out for him inside of his heart. If you think about Jonah, this is the movement. It's a roller coaster. Down, up, upside down, inside out. That's how the movement is happening here. You may feel like that right now in your own life. I've been up and down this week and inside out. I don't know where I am. When it comes to the content, this is where you can remember it. Jonah 1. God said, Jonah fled. The sailors were led, and Jonah was as dead. Simple way. If you memorize that, you will know the content of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. God saved, Jonah prayed. That's the content of the first two chapters. With detail, of course, but this is just a broad outline. Jonah 3. Jonah resent. He was resent. God sent him again. Nineveh repents. God relents. Again, a simple way to memorize the book of Jonah. And lastly, today's chapter, Jonah burns. God's concerns. What do you learn? That's a way to remember Jonah. In this last chapter, at the climax of the story, at the height of what's happening, we're asking, how did Jonah react? And equally as important, how are you going to react to God's compassion? How do you respond to God when life appears unfair? When God touched the sailors and the Ninevites, they responded in a certain way. When God touched Jonah, he also responded in a certain way. And the way he responded was he burned. And I use that word because it's an important word. In verse 1, as a reaction to what he saw of repentance, an entire city turning away from judgment, Jonah was not happy. He was not relieved. He was not happy. Imagine preaching the gospel to your friend and they believe and you go, great. I knew it was going to happen. They heard the gospel and they believed. 
How disappointing. That would seem strange to us. But Jonah was preaching to a nation that was evil and he didn't like them and he hated them in some ways. He didn't rejoice. And so in verse 1 it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. It seemed very wrong to him. In fact, there's a play on words here because in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, when God saw their evil and was going to send Jonah out to preach to them, it's the same word. It was a great disaster or evil to Jonah that God relented and had compassion. And so Jonah became angry. And the emotion here is burning with fire. It's inflamed. It's intensely angry. He was livid. He was seething. He was boiling inside over Nineveh's repentance. How many times have you been angry, that angry, out of control anger? It's a terrible situation to be in because your emotions take over and your thinking stops. And so Jonah was so angry, so frustrated, that he prayed to God in anger. Have you ever prayed to God when you're angry? When you're really angry, upset? It's been a terrible week. This has happened. That's happened. This didn't happen. That was supposed to. God, what are you doing? I'm angry and upset with you. This was Jonah. He had this angry, accusatory prayer of complaint. The only other time that Jonah had prayed in this book was in the belly of the great fish. He prayed there. And this is the second time he prayed. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? What was the point, Lord? I knew you were going to do this. This is why I fled to Tarshish. Why I made haste to go there. Why the idea of haste is I I anticipated this. I got out in front of you and I, I ran away from it because I didn't want to see this happen. You know, Jonah is a prophet of God. And by definition, a prophet, what a prophet says must come true. And what did Jonah say in chapter 3 when he proclaimed the message of God against Nineveh? He said in verse 4 of chapter 3, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Was Nineveh overthrown? The word can also mean overturned. He's a true prophet. Did his words not come true? Yeah, they did. But not in the way that Jonah thought. It wasn't that they were overthrown, overturned in judgment, but in forgiveness. Because they repented, a whole society for a short while changed. Evil had stopped. Violence had stopped. The people had changed. They were turned upside down. They were overturned. Jonah's a true prophet. What he said came true. The difference with the Ninevites and the sailors was that when you look at the sailors' prayer, they came to the Lord, Yahweh. The Ninevites didn't know that name. Only God, Elohim, the common name. And so Jonah goes on and he says, For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Remember, he's angry. He's saying his words in anger. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were gracious. That's why I didn't go. We don't usually associate those words with anger. We associate those words with, uh, with joy and relief. God is compassionate. These words, ironically, and Jonah's full of irony and comedy, 
These words are not original to Jonah. They echo back a long time before, back to Exodus. In Exodus 32, Israel was waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain. And they got tired of waiting, didn't know what was going on, so they committed the great sin. They made the golden calf and said, this is the God who brought us up from Egypt. God became aware of this on the mountain and he said to Moses, step aside, I'm going to wipe this people off the map. They rebelled against me one last time, they're stiff-necked, that's it. And Moses, what did he do? He stepped in and he said, Lord, I interceded on behalf of these people as a type of Christ who intercedes for us. And God relented to a people who knew better, who knew the right from the left. And later, when Moses returned to the mountain with two new stone tablets and came before God, the Lord came to Moses in Exodus 34 and he proclaimed this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's what Jonah was quoting. That's what he knew. And that was applied to Israel. But the minute it was applied to not Israel, to Nineveh, Jonah was upset. It's interesting because that verse that I just quoted from Exodus 34 has another phrase that Jonah did not mention. Because it continues and says, but God, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's compassion has justice. And Noah, or Jonah, sorry, left out that phrase when he was being angry with God. And so in his anger, his extreme anger, he said, death is better than life. Emotionally out of control, he asked God for death. In chapter 1, he fled from God to preferring death. I'll go in the, in the, in the ocean rather than obey God and seeing the Ninevites saved. And here he actually asks for death because he cannot bear to see Nineveh spared he cannot live with this what do you do when you're angry with God how do you deal with anger it's a real emotion we're not supposed to suppress our emotions it's true it's real if I feel angry I feel angry there's a reason for that let's look at what God says to, to Jonah God does not say hey hey Jonah Grow up. This is who I am. Stop being a a baby. Stop being angry. God could have said that. I've already shown compassion to you. What's your problem? God never said that. God asked the question. Often in our anger and our situations, God asks us questions. In verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? What an odd question. God did not answer Jonah's prayer for death. Instead, God showed concern for Jonah. The NIV text has it, is it right for you to be angry? The meaning here is along the lines, does your burning anger bring any good? Does your anger result in any benefit? What good does your anger produce? 
You're angry, I get it, but what good is it producing? What benefit is it producing? You know, God asked this question a long time ago to somebody else. His name was Cain. You don't know Cain and Abel. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Again, he asks the question. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. We know that Cain did not answer God. Instead, consumed with his anger, he went out and murdered his brother, Abel, and committed the first murder. His anger led to evil, not to good, because his anger prevented him from hearing God. And here we have Jonah. He's angry. And God says to him, what good is your anger producing? And so what does Jonah do? Notice what he did. It demonstrates, again, God's concern. Jonah's answer, Jonah's answer was to run away. I'm going to ignore the question, and I'm going to leave. In his anger, he chose not to hear God. So we know his angry prayer was done while in the city of Nineveh, because now he's left it, and he's gone outside. And when he leaves the city, he doesn't go back to, to Israel. He hangs around. In verse 5, Noah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And he sat under its shade till he should see what would happen to the city. He, build, he built a sukkah. What is a sukkah? It's from Sukkot. That's the plural. The feast of booths. You build a temporary shelter. And above you, you have vines and foliage. And he sat underneath there waiting, stewing in his anger, waiting for judgment. Perhaps he was thinking, you know, I'm going to wait. Maybe the repentance won't last. Maybe God's wrath will come. And I want to watch. I want to see these people get what they deserve. And so he sat there and waited. And God decided to do something as he was waiting. God appoints three things. Actually, four things in the text. He appointed the great fish first to save Jonah. And now he appoints some other things. It says he appoints a plant. And the Lord appointed the plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. It's the same word as the previous use. It's evil, disaster. To save him from disaster is evil. This protection from the heat allowed Jonah time to cool down physically and emotionally. You know, we have a child who's running around freaking out and you say, I'd sit in your room, time out. No internet, no TV, just sit in your bed and think. You need to control your emotions. God is saying, here's some shade, control your emotions, get things under control. It's time for you to think, not just feel. And Jonah does feel. This is the only time in the entire text where Jonah is happy. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In verse 1, he was exceedingly angry. Now he's exceedingly glad. He's rejoicing. Ah, the shade of this plant. I'm loving it. And so he was happy. Happy to receive God's brief compassion through creation, but still not happy to see Ninevite spared. So God then appoints a worm and an east wind. The worm comes and kills the plant, and it's gone. What happens? Jonah's anger and resentment and frustration, it comes back, roaring back. How dare this plant die? 
Unfair. It's unfair, isn't it? It gets worse. God sends an east wind. Jonah went to seat, sit east of the city, and this wind would have blown right into his face. Talk about a slap in the face. Now, I've, I've been to northern Iraq years and years ago, north of Mosul, where Nineveh was supposed to be, and it was hot. When I had more hair, and I did have more hair, <laughs> this is God's blessing, okay? It felt like sandpaper. It was so hot. A dry heat, not, not humid, dry. You couldn't drink enough water to feel hydrated. You were always just feeling, Ugh. And there is Jonah sitting in that heat, angry, frustrated, annoyed. And what does he say? He says again, I want to die. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on his head so that he was faint, heat stroke. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. There's no point in continuing with my life. And again, what does God do? Same pattern. He asks another question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Is that all he says? If you look at the text, you'll notice something else is said in that question. Does your anger do any good because of the plant? Now it's specific. It's not Nineveh anymore. Now it's the plant. You're angry because of the plant. Does your anger do any good? So we come to what do we learn? Look at Jonah. What do we learn from him? When God asks this question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah finally stops running. At that moment, he finally answers God. He stops running from God. He stops being forced to obey God. And he says, yes. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. This plant died. I want to die. Strange. But he's angry. And the, the irony, of the, again, is that he had sought protection all along the way. He saw protection from God's command, so he went down from Joppa. He went down into his ship. He fled down to Tarshish. God protected him by bringing a fish. He appointed a fish to protect him, save his life. Then he fled again and built a little sukkah, a little hut to keep from the heat. Didn't work. So God said to plant to protect him again. God's compassion for him. And when the protection was finally removed, at long last, then Jonah is ready to talk to God. Sometimes we're in a situation where God just waits for you. You're angry. You're upset. Life's unfair. I understand that. You're angry with me. I understand that. But I'm just going to wait for you to calm down. And then I'm going to ask you questions, and then you can respond to what I have for you, to receive the lesson that he wants to teach Jonah and to us. In verse 10, God says to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You know, Jonah had expressed great sorrow over this plant. He had no pity for the sailors in the ship that he was on. He had no pity for the people of Nineveh. 
But he had pity for a plant. Why? Why? Why, why? why would he have pity for the plant? Because the plant mattered to him. The plant was important to him. The plant was a benefit to him. In other words, for Jonah, it was unfair for the plant to die. Jonah desired mercy for the plant, not justice. Which seems kind of comical because it's a plant. God was showing that Jonah could have compassion. He was capable of, capable of having compassion for something that mattered to himself. And so God turns the tables on Jonah. And he says, well, then shouldn't I have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 100,000, 120,000 persons or atoms? He uses that word atom. 120,000 atoms who do not know the right hand from their left. And here's the, the comedy. And also the cattle. God has compassion on what matters to him. The people of Nineveh were spiritually ignorant of God's ways. And yet they were responsible for their actions. If you look at how they repented, they knew enough to repent and stop their evil ways. But they did not know God as their Lord. In their ignorance, in their desire to appease this God, who they knew very little about, they draped their cattle in sackcloth and made their herds and flocks fast. When was the last time a cattle or a sheep sinned? When was the last time a cattle or a sheep needed to repent? They didn't know. They were ignorant. They thought, let's make our cattle also bear repentance. And Jonah knew that wasn't right, because he knew more about God. God tells Jonah that the Lord has compassion on people and animals. Jonah expressed compassion for a plant. But we never hear Jonah's final response in this book because we're not supposed to. Because the final response to this book is not what Jonah has to say. It's what you have to say. It's what you have to come to conclusions with. Conclusions that are up to you to reach. The question is left for us and how we're going to reflect upon what happens. Jonah struggled to grasp God's compassion when people deserved judgment. Judgment did come. 120, 140 years later, Nineveh was destroyed by the Babylonians. Repentance did not last. In fact, it fell apart and it became increasingly evil and corrupt and more powerful. And this... This comment comes from James Bruckner, his commentary. Jonah wants to receive God's grace without being changed by God's grace. We, we love the grace part. I love to receive God's grace. But it shouldn't change me. At the same time, Jonah wanted to snatch that grace away from those whose lives were in fact being changed by God's grace. We love grace when it applies to us. But to extend it to other people can be very hard, especially when God does something that we don't think is right. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. God's concern is to move you from anger and frustration to the joy over his compassion, 
to take the focus from you up to him. It changes the whole landscape. I'm not saying it's easy. It is not easy. That's why it's a life-learned lesson that we're continually learning. Jonah rejoiced over being saved by the great fish. He didn't die. He was saved. Hallelujah. He rejoiced over the plant. This is fantastic. I need the shade on a hot day. But he struggled with God's compassion for repentant evildoers. It was hard for him. Ultimately, God wants us to share his compassion. Not just live in it, but to be vehicles to which compassion is given. Think about it. Why did God send Jonah? Why did God choose to use a person to speak forth his offer of compassion through repentance? Why does God choose you as a means to share your faith with somebody else? Because God's delight is allowing us to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, learning to have compassion on what matters to God. That's not just people. Our world matters. Our creation matters. How we live our lives matter because it shows God's compassion. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not just bringing you to him in common union, we celebrate communion in a minute, common union, but also to give you something, the ministry, the service, to help others connect with God. That's what Jonah was doing. Go to Nineveh and connect them to me. You're not happy about it, but you're going to do it. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, to us the message of re- reconciliation. We have this message. You know, there's, a, there's thousands of Ninevites in Montreal. They have no clue about what God requires. Some are ignorant. Some are willfully ignorant. God's giving you the ministry of reconciliation. He's giving that to me in my workplace to be God's compassion to demonstrate God's compassion. Not just in preaching the gospel about how you live your life. Not getting angry with somebody who has done something wrong at work. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He made his appeal through Jonah to the Ninevites. He makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be no sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we have become the righteousness of God. So at the end of the book of Jonah, to sum it all up, how will you respond to the Lord when life appears unfair? And it will, and it may be right now, appearing unfair to you. You have some choices to make. You can be angry. You can run away and hide. That's it, I'm not going to church anymore, I'm going to take a time out from everything spiritual because I'm not happy with God right now. Or you can choose to listen to him. God, I don't understand what's going on. I know this about you. I trust you and your character. I don't understand it. But I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to follow you. 
Will you allow God to fill you with his compassion? That's the question of the day. And believe me, it may be tested an hour from now or two hours from now. In that situation where your first reaction is, God, please place your compassion in my heart so that I see and care for what you see and care about. And it can't come from you. It has to come from him. That's the difference. You can't fake it. It has to be God filling you with his compassion. I'd like everybody to stand. If you can stand with me for a minute, we'll just pray, and then we'll ask the deacons to come forward as well at this time. As we prepare ourselves for communion. Heavenly Lord, God Almighty, you are compassionate. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and compassion that you have shown to us, that you poured upon us. That we don't deserve that, Lord, but you sent to us your word. You sent to us your message of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord, for the people in our lives who spoke your word to us. Thank you, God, for the people who have demonstrated who you are. Thank you for the people who led us to you, Jesus, to know you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a minute of reconciliation. Jesus, as we come and as we sit together and, and take the bread and the cup and remember your great sacrifice, remember your great compassion, Lord, Father, fill us with the insight and the attentiveness to those around us who need your compassion that we might not only receive your compassion this morning, God, but also extend it to others around us in our lives. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our benediction comes from 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Be dismissed in God's grace, and we'll see you next week.